What is up, everybody? This is Chris Wagoner with another episode of 100% Lawyering. Uh, my name is Chris Wagoner. I'm a personal injury attorney and general civil litigator out of St. Pete, Florida. And with me today is my guest, old friend of mine from law school, John Ankner. How's it going, John? Good, Chris. Hey. All right. So, um, I'll just disclaimer the front. The disclaimer for this one is going to be that this podcast is for educational or entertainment purposes only. None of the things that you're going to hear in here are going to be. Uh, should be construed as legal advice because neither John nor I know who you are, what your matter is, and uh, the specifics of your matter will, you know, obviously change whatever we what we say to each other about whatever general topic we're talking about. Uh, additionally, um, this podcast does not start the lawyer-client relationship because, again, if you're listening to this, we don't know who you are and we don't know what issues you're having. Um, so, with that, let's take it away. All right, man. Um, so we were talking a little bit of, uh, before we started this thing officially. Um, why don't you tell um, the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living? Yeah, so I'm a uh, pretty much a real estate attorney these days working in Orlando, Florida, uh, in the Dr. Phillips area. Uh, most of my practice is going to be uh, commercial real estate, but we also handle uh, landlord-tenant matters. We also handle uh, residential closing and commercial closing matters. We do uh, some, some estate planning, wills, trusts, uh, that sort of stuff, and then a bit of homeowners association representation. Uh, we've got about uh, half a dozen associations that we represent on a regular basis here in the Orlando area. And how long have you been doing it for? <sighs> Seven years now, yeah. Doesn't seem like it's been that long. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so so my thing with you is, is I always was impressed with you because you got you got the job working for the firm you're at like when we were like what summer of our two L year. Yeah, I started working here summer of our two L year, so that would have been uh, May 2013. Yeah. Not a lot of people do that. Not a lot of people like get picked up by a law firm. First of all, get picked up by a law firm when you're in in the middle of law school like that with any hope of staying there longer than like the summer and then you actually stick with it and you're still with them I mean, you're, you're partnered with them right yeah yeah and it was it was actually a the situation just kind of worked out really well because i kind of planned to work through my 3l year and you know part of that was i overloaded during my 2l year and didn't work at all uh my 2l year so i had a really light load my 3l year so being able to work over the summer and then kind of carry it into the school year worked out pretty well. And what, what wound up happening is because I was here, the firm was able to take on more business, which meant that they eventually needed another attorney, which meant that when I passed the bar, I had a job. So it, it worked out rather well in the fact that we were able to, to grow some of our client base and grow some of our business and, and create a, a position for another attorney. Yeah, and we're and we're getting to the point again where we need uh, not quite an attorney yet, but we need uh, you know maybe a clerk or a, a part-time paralegal. So 
that's always good when, when you have a little bit more business than you can handle and you can grow the, the firm. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I'm staying busy now. It's kind of it's, it's awesome, man. Like um, I've got enough cases now where, you know, I walk into the office in the mornings and I generally have like enough to keep me busy for most of the day. Um, you know, obviously I could still use some more cases and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, growth is growth is usually a good thing. So is it just the two of you still? Well, it's yeah, it's the two attorneys. Um the other partner here, his wife is actually an attorney, but she doesn't practice, but she kind of is of counsel for us uh, when we need her to be. And then we've got a paralegal that handles most, mostly residential closings because uh, we do eh, probably two a week residential closings. And there's a lot of you know paperwork and documentation that goes into that. So she mainly handles that and then, then some other you know stuff here and there as time permits. So... Okay, so then what, like, what would, like, what's kind of like your day-to-day with, as a, you know, real estate, uh, wills, trusts, and HOAs? Yeah, well, you know, recently, and especially with, you know, we talked about it a little bit before we got started, was, you know, right now the big thing in, in all our lives is COVID, right? So it's, it's affected real estate um, to an extent, right? I don't think there's anything it hasn't affected, but it's certainly affected real estate to an extent. Um, I can tell you, residential closings... There was a little, you know, drop in in the amount of residential closing business we had right around end of March, beginning of April. But it's kind of bounced back. People are still buying and selling homes, uh, so we still have residential deals coming in every day. Uh, commercial real estate was a little bit more interesting. Right around the beginning of of all of this, um, my typical day was talking to landlords and talking to their tenants because. Typically in commercial, our clients are the landlords um, and talking to their tenants to find some way for the tenant to stay in their space, pay something in the form of rent and then open back up once the restrictions were lifted to allow them to stay in business, <clears throat> stay in their lease <clears throat> and, and keep, keep doing business. And that, that took up a lot of my day for about two and a half, three weeks. Yeah, so, okay, so I'm not a real estate attorney, so what, what was the, uh, I know that the governor here in the state of Florida put a stay on evictions, right? Right, and, and it, at the state level, from what I re, you know, read on, on what Ron DeSantis, right, is putting out, it was a stay on evictions if the reason that the eviction would have proceeded was because of non-payment of rent. So basically, if you couldn't pay your rent, you're safe. If you were doing something else to violate the terms of your lease, some non-monetary default, you could still proceed with the eviction. Um, yeah, now what gets more interesting is then the Supreme Court of Florida comes in and says... Uh, I think their their rule was no eviction case uh, for non-monetary, or sorry, for monetary default. And then in Orange County, or the Ninth Circuit, which is Orange and Osceola counties, it was the chief judge here said no eviction cases, period. So the question was, can commercial evictions proceed? 
Can non-monetary defaults, can those proceed? Or are we completely shut down? And to this point in time, I've not had anyone inquire about filing anything for a non-monetary default. So I haven't been able to test whether the court would, would allow us to file and proceed with that right now. But generally, I get a call twice a week, and in fact, I had one this morning, from a landlord that wants to know what can I do about you know, this tenant that I have renting my rental property that hasn't paid me in three months. Um, and right now, the answer is you got to wait till August 1st to see what happens, whether they extend the stay on evictions or whether they allow it to expire. Because they've been extending it, and at some point, it will expire. We just don't know when. Yeah. And just we'll see what the virus does kind of thing. Um, obviously, there's still at least a half a month left before we get to that point. So a lot can happen between now and then. But I've got a feeling that he's just going to let it happen. He's going to let it expire and, and let the cards fall where they may. Well, and it's it's been getting later and later, right? So at first, you know, when they had to extend it, it'd be like eh, a week in advance. They'd announce that they're extending it. And then it was like two or three days in advance. And this past time when it came time to extend it, it was like June 30th at 8 p.m. <laughs> they extended it to August, where it was supposed to expire that day at midnight. So it's been getting tighter and tighter for, for you know, when they're going to extend, extend it. So what do you think happens when, uh, once it finally goes away? You know, I think that I think the courts are going to get flooded with eviction cases. I know there's a lot of folks that are waiting to file uh, to see what'll happen. And my, you know, my advice to landlords to th to this point has been, if you've got somebody who's not paying yet, since I can't go out and file an eviction case right now, you know, talk to them, see if see if they're can they pay half rent, can they pay a third rent, can they pay you something so that you're not making zero dollars on your rental property. And they're not digging a hole that's getting deeper and deeper that they're never going to climb out of. Yeah. Because that's what happened in the commercial context. Uh, what do you mean? A lot, a lot of the landlords... Came to the, came to the, you know, the commercial <coughs> landlord and were like, hey, you know, I've been shut down because of this whole thing, like restaurants or whatever, I don't have the money, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Yeah, ba basically either the landlord reached out to the tenant or the tenant reached out to the landlord and they worked out some kind of deal whether it was, hey, we'll waive some of your rent or we'll defer some of your rent, some, some kind of deal to allow that tenant to stay in their space, even if they're not operating currently or operating at you know, a much lower level than they would normally, but just to keep that tenant operating and in the space. Right. So. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of wild because it's getting to the point now for me where, like, you know, first when I heard that they were doing that, they were, you know, they suspended evictions. I thought, okay, that's great. You know, that means that we, we don't have to worry about, you know, people that are going to stay home. Because obviously, you know, there's people that stay at home order in April. So, you know, most everybody hunkered down in some way for the most part. And didn't work. You know, like, so, like there were a lot of us, like, I'm sure that you're the same. Like, we're just blessed and fortunate enough that we can work from home. It's not, you know, as an attorney in this day and age, you can do, you know, most of your work 
as long as you have a computer and a phone and a printer, you're probably good to go. Yeah. Not everybody was the same way, and so I thought when that happened, I was like, okay, good. You know, this will keep you know like a homeless crisis from happening. But now I'm starting to get more worried about like what happens when all the landlords start being, you know, in a situation where like cause they have that like that's the way they make money. You know, like they make money off of people paying them for them to stay in their in their residence. Well, what happens if all those guys declare bankruptcy? It's a you know kind of a crazy thought to think. Well, what if there was like a statewide or even like a nationwide landlord crisis where they all went out of business and they all end up filing bankruptcy? Then what happens? Yeah, and that's been that's been something that folks have kind of discussed off to the side, right? Because the the more prescient issue has always been residential tenants staying in their homes, right? Because you can't stay at home if you don't have a home, <laughs> right? And and we also don't want to create that situation where we we have this huge homeless population because people don't have anywhere to live anymore. Because obviously, if you're going to kick somebody out for non-payment and they've been relying on, say, you know, the Florida unemployment system, and maybe they've had some issues getting their, their payments there, can they afford to get into a new place? So where are they going to go if, if they get evicted and don't have someplace lined up to go into? And we're getting to the point where landlords are starting to say, yeah, okay, we got to keep people, you know, housed. But I haven't made money in you know how many months and how much longer do you expect me to go on like that? Because you've got some landlords that have mortgages on their property and they're scrambling to figure out how to pay their mortgages. Then you've got other landlords who you know maybe the property's paid off, but that income they get from that rental is what they live on, and now they don't have that. So at some point, you know, there's going to be a, a reckoning. <laughs> Something has right. to happen. Right. You know. That's what I've heard described a reckoning. You know, I know it's not a it's not a fun word to use, but you know, because like let's say the government swoops in again and they say that all right, well now landlords can't can't file for bankruptcy. Well then then the buckets pass along to the banks, and then now we're you know now we're in housing crisis issue like you know all of 2007. Obviously it's, it, it'd be a different flavor, but you know it's a similar situation where now the banks have all these you know negative assets on the books. And then, you know, how yeah. much of that can they absorb, you know, because obviously they can only absorb so much, you know, there's only, there's only so much each of these institutions are going to be able to absorb before something, man, I did not expect this podcast to go this direction, but yeah, you know, <laughs> there's only so much, there's only so much that they can absorb before there's some kind of, of give in the system, you know? Well, I mean, the, the, you're, you're looking at it, it would likely lead to a housing crash again, right? Where vol- values for, for real estate would fall through the floor again. So, and, and nobody wants to see that happen because we've seen it recently enough that we kind of know what it feels like to go through that. And I don't think anybody's willing to go, you know, ready to go through that again. And it's probably going to take some action in Congress, whether it's a, a tax credit that's given to landlords um, or some kind of, of program, kind of like the PPP loans, where landlords can get um, some rental reimbursement. I don't know. Something has to happen kind of on that side of it because you're telling people, Hey, you don't have, you can't get evicted because you don't pay, which means that you get people who don't pay. And I'm sure that the majority of those folks probably just don't have the money to pay right now because they're not employed. But at some point the landlords are going to look back and go, okay, well, I need, I need to get paid too. Find some way to allocate the money elsewhere. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, I want families to be able to stay in their homes and put food on the table, but I know at some point, um, landlords are going to come looking for the rent that they haven't been paid. So. Well, anyway, so have you been, um, have you been doing like a lot of like Zoom hearings and stuff like that before appearances? You know, I don't have as much litigation going on now. Um, so I've had, I think, like three, three Zoom hearings. Uh, all of them were probate related. So okay. that's about it. That's not too bad. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, my... Do, I haven't had to do much in the Zoom, uh, on the Zoom front either. I, had a, um, I actually haven't had a single Zoom hearing yet. But um, I did have a Zoom. There was a, a, a town hall meeting regarding all the COVID stuff here in Pinellas last week mm -hmm. for the circuit court that I went to. And there was like 70-some-odd people on it with two judges and like the, uh, I guess the... the St. Pete Bar Association president, and it went well, but it was like yeah. predictably hilarious. You know, like there were audio <laughs> issues. You know, like people were getting cut off, and like you know, the judge was trying to like you know, ju the judge didn't know which camera to look at and stuff like that. So like you know, funny little things like that that were happening. But it went pretty well considering how many people were on it. You know, it was uh, I would say fairly distraction-free considering you know there's 70-ish people coming in and out of the out of the Zoom meeting at any particular time. They got right. They got the information across. They had multiple speakers and stuff like that. So I was fairly impressed with the way that it went. Yeah, now, now I do think that the upside, at least for, for attorneys, right, might be that at the end of all this, the court goes, well, hey, this whole Zoom hearing or remote video-based hearing system that we've kind of put in place to cover this time period that we can't have in-person hearings didn't go too bad. Maybe we should extend that and do it on a regular basis. You know, that was one of the things that one of the judges specifically addressed. And he was like, he was probably in his mid-50s. So, mm -hmm. like, not, not crazy old. You know, he still had a good, you know, good 15, 20 years left in him. And uh, he was saying that, like, because one of the questions that was asked was, do you want us to continue to give you paper copies of our motions? Or do you want us to just go completely electronic? And he said he still he wants the electronic, but if you, we can get him a paper copy, he'd prefer to have a paper copy because he just likes paper copies. Yeah. And he was saying that, like, I'm old school. Like, I still, like, I, I like it when people come in. I think there's a there's something about when you come in and you argue in front of the judge that, it, like, you're, you're more persuasive and, 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 and you're just doing a better job as an attorney when you do that. And then he said, that having been said, we get so much more done this way. Yeah. There's not the in and the out in the hearings, you know, like, so like, you know, if they're doing hearings in chambers, right, you know, you got to sit in the waiting room mm -hmm. and you've got to have the deputy kind of escort you in and out, right? And that takes time. I, I would say maybe five minutes turnaround between each one of those hearings. Some of those hearings only last like maybe yeah. five minutes. So you've got, yeah. you know, 10 minutes, 15 minute turnaround on a hearing that takes five minutes, maybe once you really get on the record. But with Zoom, you cut all that out. And if everyone's right. just queued up, ready to go, they just switch over into the next hearing, and boom, you're there. You know, you, you, you do your, you know, the judge does his colloquy, and then, and then you're swearing in whoever needs to get sworn in, you make your arguments, and you're done. So yeah. I, I think there's no way we go back. I, I just don't see how, because it seems like it's, it's just way more efficient. And as much as it pains me to say this, because I love being in court. I like the whole, <laughs> like the whole thing. But, you know... At the same time, like I'm, I'm a pragmatist, and, and to me, I, I don't see how they can go back. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think for for certain things like sh you know short matters or you know defaults when when everything's already been filed or, or sent over to the judge. Yeah, for those short hearings, those quick quick matters, especially stuff that's uncontested, I think that this you know this whole video Zoom uh, model will work moving forward. But yeah, certain things I think you're right. You want to stand in front of the judge. You want to have your time to argue, and uh, you know try to persuade the judge to believe what, what it is you're giving him. Right, because you would never want to do a, like a jury trial on, via Zoom. Right. And I'm sure you've heard that they're experimenting with that. And my thought is, like, obviously you can't see me, but it's like eye roll. Like, right, yeah. There's no way that's ever going to catch on. Like, I mean, maybe you'll find a way to get it done because I get it. The court system is, is probably back backlogged in a way that it's never been backlogged before. So, you know, this is a unique pressure that's being put on the system right now and I understand that you need to find a way to relieve the pressure in any way that we can if we can make a zoom trial work I'm not going to be the attorney that agrees to it but you know then great you know you go forward and, and, and good luck to you you know if I had a, yeah. if I was doing criminal defense right and I hadn't waived speedy you know maybe I'm seriously considering doing a zoom trial because I feel very confident the state doesn't have the evidence and even despite the frustrations that I might have trying to be persuasive in front of, you know, six people who are in separate rooms, you know, God knows how many miles away. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the way that we do it to get my client out of jail. Like, that, I can see that happening. But fortunately, I'm not in, I'm not in criminal defense. So, you know, I, I can kind of be choosy about, you know, when and how I go to trial. I can delay my cases, you know, six months to a year, wait for, you know, waiting for jury trials to come back, you know, proper, proper jury trials to come back so that I can actually stand in front of them. But... That having been said, you know, what they were saying last week is that they're actually setting up a courtroom over here, and I'd, I'd be willing to bet that they're doing it over in Orange County and Osceola County, too, where they're trying to set up, like, a COVID, I'm going to use the word proof, I know that's not, it's obviously not going to be proof, but a COVID-19 proof courtroom, so they can, like, bring in, like, a panel. I don't know how they do that, like, yeah, that'd be interesting. people for you to question and, like, keep them all, like, separated, I just, it's just not possible. Yeah, because Wadir is not the type of situation that lends itself to having all your jurors or your, sorry, your potential jurors, right. Separated out in that courtroom. And I know the last time we did, you know, a trial, we had what they brought in 15 potential jurors and yeah, they all sit them in the front row and the attorneys get to ask them some questions. And I don't know how you do that. If everybody's behind plexiglass. Or if they're in different rooms, like what if it's yeah. a video? What if they bring in like the, Jumbotron, you know, from, from uh, what is it, Camping World Stadium and set it up in <laughs> courtroom one, two or something like that. And they have like, you know, they bring the jurors, let's say they, let's say that they bring them into the courthouse and they use like, I don't know, offices and they just put them all and they all have like a, like a CCTV. And oh, then, yeah. Know, and it's like this big Jumbotron and there's like, you know, like you said, like 15 people on the Jumbotron all listening to you. But like, I've done it, I've only done a few of these Zoom, Zoom hearings and like, if there's an audio disruption, like that's a problem. Yeah. You know, like, even yeah. if it's only for thirty seconds, like that's a serious problem because the way that the nature of Wadir is like, you know, you're you're kind of like you're presenting, you know, like you might right. be presenting in the way that you're presenting like an opening statement or a closing argument, but you know, you, you've got your canned things, you've got your go-to, your go-to uh, spiel's that you need to get out there and questions that you need them to hear, and if you know, your spiel is interrupted for 30 seconds. When you ask that follow-up question, they're not going to know what you're talking about. It's just, 
it's a headache and I get it. It's the reality of the situation and it's something that I, I'm not saying I'm not willing to deal with it. I'm just glad that I'm not, I don't need to be on the cutting edge of it. I can kind of sit back and. and <laughs> you don't need to be the guinea pig. Happens, you, know? you don't need to be the guinea pig. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, maybe they can figure out, I mean, I just don't see how the Zoom thing's going to work just for that, just for that reason. Technical difficulties alone are too, too monumental. Like, you know, you lose 10 seconds. Like, well, if you're in a meeting, it's not a big deal because, you know, once Garth reconnects to the, to the, to the meeting, he could say, hey, hey, I missed the last 10 seconds. Can you re-go back? And, 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 you know, Janet can back up 10 seconds and, and fill Garth in and you're good to go. But in jury selection, that's just not, that's not going to cut it. Or even a trial, it's not going to cut it. You got a witness testifying, and you miss a, you know a couple questions that that were asked of that witness. Yeah, it's not. It's not obviously. It's not ideal. I, I don't expect that it's a long term solution. Right. Yeah. Could you imagine so. like, being like in cross examination, and you're like streaking in cross, <laughs> and you and you're like you're like three questions into your cross, and you probably got like like really good part of your cross. I'm not talking about the whole cross, but like you know you're in that like you know that that. You know, like that ten or twenty question cross that you know that you're just like you just, you're just licking them, and you get like five questions into it, and somebody's like, "Hey, can you go back a couple of questions?" Like that's gonna just throw the whole thing off, you know? Yeah, it's gonna push, change the momentum. It's it's not, it's obviously not ideal, and I, I wouldn't expect it as a long term solution. But for lesser, you know, things for hearings, for uh, you know, maybe even an evidentiary hearing where it's just two attorneys and the judge and maybe a witness. Yeah, I could see being able to do it through through Zoom if need be. Um, certainly for short matters. I think for short matters is where it kind of finds its niche and, and yep. fits the best. Yeah. Yeah. Because yep. then you can apply. You could appear in two counties. You could appear at you know an eight a.m. hearing in or an eight eight thirty in Pinellas and then nine o'clock in Hillsboro. Yep. <laughs> you know to drive across town. Like for us, it's like discovery motions. Usually, like those things, like I might know how the judge is going to rule, and so I know it's going to be a thirty-second motion, and the judge is probably going to know how he's going to rule as, as he reads the motion. But you still got to go do it because you know, it, even even if the opposing counsel is like the best person in the world and the great attorney, a lot of times like they'll just say no, and we'll say no, and we know what the outcome is going to be, and you just go and you argue it anyway. Those kinds of motions, you know, the ones that everyone kind of knows what the predetermined outcome is going to be. Yet, to do your job the correct way, you still have to be, you know, you still have to be a stalwart and, and make the other person kind of go through the motions. Yeah, you got to hold them to it. You got it exactly. <coughs> I think those are going to be the ones that, like you said, I think that's where the Zoom hearing is going to really find its find its niche. Or even maybe like emergency motions too, you know. If yeah. I'm in, if I have a case in Miami and I'm in, you know, Pinellas County. And we and I have an emergency motion that I need to, I need heard like you know yesterday. Well, then we can all just like boot into our computers and zoom you know do the Zoom hearing and boom you know emergency motion done. Right. Yeah. That that, that would be a lot more efficient. Now I, I mean for now it's been it's been working. You know the couple that I've had have been all right. I mean one of them was down in Palm Beach County on a probate and it saved me having to drive down to Palm Beach County and back. Which hey that's pretty good. Yep. <laughs> So I'm not going to complain about that, but yeah, we'll see where it goes. We don't, you know, we don't do as much litigation, especially right now, because I mean, foreclosures and, and evictions are a large part of the litigation that we do. Um, so our litigation has kind of fallen off a little bit, and the cases that we do have are kind of all, you know, holding because we're waiting for the courts to open back up to get somewhere. We just had a case that was supposed to have a trial date of August 27th, I think we were set for. 
and it got rescheduled. It got pushed to January of 2022. No way. Yeah, that's wow. the trial period. Crazy. January, I think it's like the, the week of January 12th or something like that. It's like right mid-January 2022. What? And this is a 2016 case. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why did that? Like, why, why so far out? I mean, obviously COVID, I guess, but like, was there more to it than that? Uh, well, the one thing that, well, I think what the, the thing that resulted in it getting pushed was that the other attorney, the uh, opposing counsel, is in the National Guard and his unit got called up. Oh, all right. But that would have certainly resulted just in this August hearing or this August trial day getting pushed, yeah. which we didn't really have a problem with. You know, it would have been nice to have known that he was going to be out for a month before he actually left, right? And he goes incommunicado for a month. But I understand he's got National Guard service. It's a legitimate reason to not uh, be in court, yes, <laughs> you know, and to not be doing your work. Now, the more prudent thing might have been to put a notice of uh, unavailability with a copy of your orders to the extent you're able to put those in there uh, with the court so that uh, everybody's aware that you're not available. But beyond that, I have no objections to the fact that you need more time because you're serving the National Guard by all yeah. means. You know, that's that's it's an important thing. It would take a, it would that's take a special kind of attorney to be like, no, screw that guy. Like, you need to like, <laughs> dump that, dump that and, obligation. And I don't see a judge denying that kind of motion for extension of time when your reason is I'm serving in the National Guard, Your Honor. <laughs> got called up. Yeah, right. um, but now with that being said, did I expect that our trial would be pushed from August 2020 to January 2022? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, 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 the dates are getting long. But, of course, you know, they're civil. So they, they, there's no speedy requirement. Right. They, they get pushed out. They get pushed out, and, and you deal with it. Now, we're on defendant's side, so for us it's a good thing. Right. But it, it is what it is, and everybody's kind of going to have to deal with longer uh, trial times. Yeah, you know, it's, it, I, had a, um, I had a non-jury scheduled, actually, in, I want to say, June. It was June. And it was, I was actually, it's the only defense case that I have. And I'm, I'm on the defense. And as you know, in civil cases, the, the uh, burden is on the plaintiff's side to, you know, prove the case um, beyond the proponents of the evidence, right? So they have to basically just close, they have to give us a witness list, and they have to give us like a, an exhibit list as well, so that we have, there's no trial by ambush. There has to be a, uh, I have to know who's going to be called, and I have to know what documents are going to be used. Yep. And so the opposing counsel in this case, uh, when I got it, because it was filed in October, and I got the case in December. When I got it, no work had been done on it at all other than the complaint had been filed, and he had moved for a motion to default, which I obviously, you know, you know, you know wrote uh, a motion to set aside the, set aside the default and allow, allow me to answer the, allow me to answer. Um, but... I was going the route of, well, we're not going to do anything in this case because he's not, like, th there had been no interrogatories filed. There had been no request to produce filed. There were no depositions that were set. There was no nothing. So my strategy was, well, if he's not going to do anything, I'm not going to do anything because I don't have the burden. And <laughs> we get to, you know, there's the, there's the cutoff dates, as you well know. There's, like, you know, cutoff dates as you get closer to trial that if right. you don't respond to those cutoff dates, that's it. You know, you've missed the cutoff dates. And therefore, you know, the argument would be when you get into trial that, well, I didn't get the witness list, I didn't get the exhibit list, therefore he's not gonna be able to call any witnesses or 
or admit any evidence, and he's not going to meet his burden. Therefore, you know, motion right. for you know motion, motion for default judgment, and, and we win the case. So he missed the deadlines, and I was I was like, this could work. This might work. I've I've never seen this happen uh, since I've been a civil attorney. Um, but hey, you know, if 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 it, if, it, if it happens, it happens. And then COVID really, you know, set in, <laughs> and we were about a month away from trial, and I he had officially missed all the deadlines at this point. Like we were a week past it too, past the deadlines. And I was, you know, kind of you know prepping like my arguments and stuff like that, and the judge unilaterally continued the case out for like a month, and then. Once July rolled around, I think actually at that point it would have been June, right? Uh, he they continued the case until October. So uh, while it's not a 2022, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not that far. <laughs> considering nothing has been done on the case, um, you know, I was I was a little bit disappointed because I thought it was going to be a you know an easy win. I mean, I'm sure that the you know opposing counsel could have gotten up there at the, on the day of trial and you know said like, well, you know. He may be right, but you know this wouldn't be fair to my client if we just you know got the got the case you know dismissed based off of just the fact that you know I failed to comply with the discovery cutoff. Can you? This is the first opportunity we've asked for. Can we get another one? I'm sure the judge would have said yes. But. Yeah, and they shouldn't. <laughs> right. you know. If you're the plaintiff's counsel and you've you know you've sued somebody and then you don't do anything, that defendant's sitting there the whole time going, "Gee, what's going to happen?" You know, what about the? Uh, unfairness to the defendant who's sitting there going crap i've been sued so you know fortunately our defendant in, this, in our case is a, is a homeowners or a condo owners association so you know you got a, you got an entity it's not a person that's sitting around every day going oh my gosh i wonder what's going to happen to me in that case it's you know condo association wanting to know how much money they might have to pay right and i think <laughs> in my case specifically i i do think that the argument would have been good for that reason just because you know we would have been Right. You know, and not not even interrogatories were done. You know, it's like one of those things where it's just pretty basic stuff. But you know, hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. I'm actually kind of enjoying that case right now. It's, uh, I'm not gonna go into the details of it, but uh, it, is, it, it is it has it, it gotten more complicated since then. Right. Well, they always do. <laughs> right. So now most of most of our court work lately has been um, probate. So that's, that's been the majority of it. And, and, you know, those hearings are typically fast and easy because unless you've got somebody who's contesting what you're doing, it's usually not uh, the, the difficult time. Yeah, so how does that work exactly? Like, I've never really done probate. I know that I was talking to, I don't know if you saw this, but I, was, uh, I did one of these with Don a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And, uh, I think he's starting to get into that stuff too. He's starting to do wills and trusts. Yeah, I saw him. Well, I saw him. At, well, geez, it was a long time ago. When you think about it, it was back in March when he was playing the bagpipes out at uh, the brewery for St. Patty's Day. <laughs> so it was a while ago, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like it. Um, but yeah, so we have some realtors that we work with in our residential closings. That um, from time to time they'll find somebody that's trying to sell a house because mom or dad passed away, and they've got a sell mom or dad's home now because they're not with us anymore and and they need someone to probate that estate um so we we started doing them that way and then of course we did some will drafting for folks and those folks have passed and the kids go oh well you drafted the will can you do the probate <laughs> so 
we, we do have a fair amount of probate business and it really all depends on the amount of assets that you know the decedent had what type of probate you're going to do whether it's going to be formal or whether it's going to be um, uh, summary administration which is kind of a less formal procedure when you have lower asset estates so and, and the thing in florida is your house your your homestead residence does not count as part of your assets so if you've got you know your, your cutoff for summary administration is $75,000. You can have a half a million dollar house and still fit into summary administration if you don't have any other assets beyond $75,000 otherwise. Huh. And then, you know, your formal administration is those, those folks that have 75000 or more in assets. Interesting. I didn't realize that. I thought that, like, um, I mean, I know that Homestead was, you know, it, it's like a special carve-out, but I didn't right. realize that it wouldn't be necessarily well because what it does is it protects your house your homestead from third-party creditors and that extends to even after you are dead so if you own a house that's paid off and you owe amex 10 grand you don't have to pay amex from that asset from that house you don't have to sell it and pay off amex now if you got ten thousand bucks in the bank yeah amex can get their ten thousand dollars there but they can't touch that house so what typically you're going to try to do is file a petition, have the judge say, yeah, that was the homestead of the decedent. And then I've done a couple different things with, with homestead determinations. One is just, hey, we'll wait till the rest of the probate is done, and then we'll distribute the assets uh, according to the will. Uh, we've done it where we've got maybe a personal representative that wants to get that house sold because it's a burden to have to keep paying taxes or keep paying the mortgage on it or you know maintenance and they want to get it sold so we get a, an order that says they can sell it um so we've we've done it a couple of different ways but that that house can get taken out of you know control by the court and be disposed of relatively quickly compared to the rest of the estate it still takes time, mind you, but you can you can streamline it a little bit. What was uh, what was the largest estate you ever worked with? Ah, so we had a guy that, um, and, and actually it was it, we did an ancillary probate, uh, which is when you've got someone who died living in another jurisdiction but owning property in uh, the local jurisdiction. So you have to probate real property always in the county where it's located. Okay. So we had a guy that, um, he was a English citizen, a British citizen, but he had a lot of assets here in Florida. So we had to do his home here in Orange County along with uh, some US bank accounts and US investments that he had um, as an ancillary administration after his probate in in the UK, so that was kind of interesting because we were we were working back and forth between uh, a solicitor in uh, in England and then us and then the court here in Orange County. Huh. Yeah, and and we've done a couple like that. We've done you know from from England. We've done from Canada. I haven't seen anything outside of England and Canada, but. Eventually, I assume we'll, we'll run into someone that had a probate in Brazil because there's a lot of folks that uh, are from Brazil that own property in Central Florida. 
And I don't know how we would handle that because the fortunate thing with the ones we've done in Canada and in, in, in the UK, they speak English. <laughs> so all the court pleadings are in English, right? So I imagine that if we were to have one that came in from Brazil or somewhere else, we're going to have to get all of the documents from that probate in Brazil or wherever it might be translated into English before they can get filed with the court here. And, you know, we, we notice it between states even. And I imagine that it's going to get even worse when you start to go over to countries that don't have, you know, a, an English common law system. And the court kind of wants a square peg to go in a square hole. So whatever we do here in Florida is what the judge is kind of expecting and when you give them something different you know maybe it's the same type of document but in pennsylvania they call it something different the court goes oh wait what we're, we're looking for this you gave us that well this is that yeah. <laughs> you know that that's what they call it there we call it this they call it that it gives you the same information so kind of working through that in in the cases that we've had that in is always a kind of an interesting uh process Yes, you're like, a, you're like a court translator. Right, yeah. I mean, I have to sit back and read what the Pennsylvania court did and go, well, I mean, really, this Florida document that you want contains this information, and here's where you find it in that Pennsylvania document so that you can feel comfortable, Judge, going through and, and, and reading this and knowing that what Pennsylvania did is what we need to have had done. So kind of going back to the going back to the solicitors, do you ever have to deal with them directly? Uh, not not deal with them directly, but more so, uh, hey, you guys did the, the probate in England or in Canada, and can we get you know your files, your documents, certified copies of, of whatever went to the court because yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll need to file them here, that sort of stuff. So you know usually we wind up talking to their staff. Sometimes we'll talk to the attorneys. I had one that the attorney was in Scotland, um, talked to her staff a few times and actually wound up talking to the attorney once, um, which was interesting. It was hard to, hard to understand okay, her a yeah. little bit, yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, people, it like, worked. Like, like true Scottish people like in Scotland, like their accents are crazy heavy. There was, um, so I had, I had a really good client. Um, and every time, you, you ever seen, uh, so I married an ax murderer I've seen a little bit of it. Right, so, 90s yeah. movie with, uh, with Mike Myers. Mike Myers, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they're, they're Canadian, but his dad is Scottish and, you know, he's really Scottish. Um, so I had that. <laughs> I had a guy, he was, he, he's lived most of his life in Canada, but he's from Scotland. And uh, when he passed away, prior to him passing away, some relatives of his in Scotland passed away, which is how I wound up working with this um, attorney in Scotland. So that's that's kind of how it, it turned out. <laughs> you should have found a way to go over there. You should have been like, you know what? We need you as a person. Yeah, put on the firm dime. On the company. You got to put this on the company and just head out. Yeah, put on the firm's dime and go out to, to Edinburgh. You got to go there in person and collect the documents. <laughs> yeah, something tells me that wouldn't fly. <laughs> Especially now with Zoom meetings and stuff. Like you got no excuses. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and it was, it was you know, it was interesting. Zoom meeting is the death of the company trip. Uh, for now, it'll go back. <laughs> I mean, that's what they said after, you know, after 9-11. Oh, this is the end of business travel, and then that, that didn't last too long. Yeah. People like to do face-to-face -face business. It's true. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, Zoom is better than the phone, but it's still not 
it's still not face-to-face. Well, and you get a lot of folks that they want to do that kind of face-to-face interaction because they want it to be more about, well, more than just business, right? They want it to be a little bit of uh, building a relationship. Yeah. So let's get what we need to taken care of, done, and then, you know, let's go out and have drinks and, and get to kind of know who we're working with. Right. You know, because you collaborate with people, even even in, in, in our business, we collaborate with, with other folks, and especially me as a transactional attorney, I've got, you know, I've got counsel for the other side, whether, you know, if I'm representing the buyer, I've got counsel for the seller, I've got, you know, lenders, I've got their counsel, I've got uh, title companies and maybe their counsel, so... Yeah, and for me, it's like, you know, doctors, a lot of doctors, you know, contractors, things like that, you know, we all kind of tend to to know about, you know, and and get to know one another for those reasons. But also, like, my clients as well, like, they they want to get to know me a lot of times, um, (laughs) which I'm cool with, you know, I, I actually kind of enjoy it, but it's, you know, it's more than just, you know okay, attorney, handle my case. Like, they usually, like, there's right. like a, there's, it's almost like there's, like, a vetting process. Maybe if I was, like, working for Morgan & Morgan or, like, Dan Newland or something like that, maybe they wouldn't hey. be. <laughs> Dan Newland's across the street from me. No, good, lucky you. The Sand Lake office, I've never been there, but I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. It's right across the street from me. In fact, well, he's got a billboard. It's, like, this billboard right above Chick-fil-A across the street from us. That it's he usually has it. I think he's got it right now. Yeah, I can see it right now. But one time, one time I come into the office and they'd have changed it over the weekend, and it was this like shiny red, like sequined. I don't know how to quite describe it, right? Uh-huh. Like red foil, you know, billboard that they had replaced it with. And I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> you start reading it, and you're like, oh, Dan got you how many million dollars? How nice. Yep. Good old so. Dan. But yeah, there yeah, there's Sand Lake offices right across the street from us. So. He outperformed uh, Dan, or not Dan. He outperformed uh, John Morgan in 2018 over in Orlando. Did he? Yep. Did he? Yep. Well, he is a he's a contender. It was that free Pitbull concert. Dude, that was crazy. Man. That's kind of genius, though, if you think about it. I mean, like he did, he did a Flow Rider concert, and he did I think he did somebody country as well, and then he did a Pitbull concert. I mean. Dude, you know, like that's that's some outside the box thinking right there. Yeah, I mean, it was I mean, it was all over TV for what like 3 4 months here. Yeah. My favorite commercial that he ever did though was he was like up in the mountains in North Carolina somewhere and he comes like comes like riding a riding a horse like down the mountain. And he's like, you know, I don't even remember what the slogan was, but he did like he's like, yeah, I'm Dan Newland. I want to represent you. Look at me. I'm riding a horse. <laughs> like, this is the most, like he looked like he looked like Vladimir Putin. You seen that picture? Of him? Yeah, yeah, the sh- shirtless Putin on a horse. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of that exact thing, like the camera angles and everything. I'm just like, this is this is the, one of the weirder commercials that I've seen. Yeah, there's, you know, and I don't watch a lot of live TV, but uh, every once in a while, you're, you're flipping, you know, you're you're fast forwarding through the commercials and you see one you go oh wait hold on let me go watch and watch this one yeah that'd be one well the thing that always gets me about those i guess to, to take a little bit more of a serious tone about personal injury commercials is that you know what people don't see in those commercials is like the guys that get like that million plus dollar those million plus dollar verdicts a lot of times those people are actually like legitimately hurt and they don't right. really come across that way in the commercial you know, like, Damn. I remember there was this one with this guy, he had this big, big old dually, 
you know, F-350 or something like that. And he's like, yeah, Dan got me $950,000. And I was like, yeah, and now you pee into a bag and you can't sleep at night, you know? It's like something, something's going on there. Like, you don't just, you don't make those up. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of folks that appear on those commercials. And, I mean, I'm sure that they were clients. I'm sure they had, you know, good cases. But, you know, you never know the story that goes behind it. Right. Yeah. Because I've seen the story that goes behind it. Like, that's what I'm kind of getting at. Is like, and there are a couple of those commercials, too, where, like, there's significant other kind of speaks for them. I don't know if you ever noticed that. And I'm always, like, I'm always kind of weary when that happens. Like, why is the significant other speaking for them? Like, and they kind of look right. off, you know, they're sitting right next to them. And it's like, yeah, Dan was great. He got us $5 million. It's like, yeah, but that person that's next to you there is probably brain dead now. Or maybe not brain dead, but, like, had some kind of serious traumatic brain injury right. and now their you know cognitive abilities have been seriously impaired well of course they're going to get you know five million dollars you know in a case like that who wouldn't <coughs> think of the cost of care to that person you know year after year for the next you know 25 years right you know, yeah it's shocking how how much it is to have like you know what if you need like not even a live-in nurse but like a, a nurse who comes in you know daily to check in on the person to make sure that they're you know being you know tended to correctly or, or whatever that's uh, yeah. those those expenses rack up. Well, that's the thing, is right? Is I mean, it's kind of the marketing side of it. Is it makes it look like these big verdicts are you know like hitting the lotto, where in reality it's more that these big verdicts are to pay for the cost of care right. for somebody you know through the through their lifetime. Right. And, I mean, don't get so. me wrong. Like, there's definitely cases that get blown out of proportion. And, like I remember hearing. When I was on the defense side, you know, because, you know, defense lawyers talk just like all, like all lawyers want to know what's going on in different cases and stuff like that so you can better evaluate what's going on. But I remember hearing about some crazy big verdicts, you know. But then again, you know, every single time, like, I never knew what the exact facts were. You know, I got right. to sit and watch a – I watched the first case that I ever saw as a civil attorney after I made the jump from being an pu- assistant public defender was a rear-end accident. It was a fender-bender. And the plaintiff who, you know, liability wasn't in question. It was, you know, they were stopped at a a red light and um, I wasn't representing them. My firm was, um, you know, so our client, uh, you know, had had tagged him from from behind, looking at her cell phone or something. I I don't remember what it was. It didn't matter. And that person ended up having three different back surgeries as a result of, as they were arguing as as a result of the accident, right? So they had, like, their medical bills were, like, $400,000, $450,000, $500,000 in hard medicals because they had a neurosurgeon operate three different times in in less than a year on them. And so, you know, we go into trial and the argument was that basically that the accident was so insignificant that the operations had happened as a result of degenerative changes that had happened over this person's life. They were older. They were like in in their mid-60s. And it seemed like a pretty good argument to me, like when I was sitting there in the in the gallery watching it happen, because one of the facts that came out was that our client had a McDonald's sweet tea in the console of their car, and it was open, and it didn't spill. Hmm. That's how insignificant the accident was. But the jury disagreed. The jury thought that the harm came from the accident, and they awarded them $1.4 million on hey. that case. <laughs> Not bad. Like, that's a lot of money. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, that's like, yeah, that's a lot of money. So, like, you know, as a brand new 
civil attorney, like, watching that happen, it's like, oh, you know, like, that's a crazy thing to happen. You know, like, this, like don't get me wrong, like, the, the plaintiff looked terrible. Like, when he took the stand and, and testified, I mean, you could tell he was in, he was, he was in actual pain. Right. Like, I've done a few more trials since then, and, like, no one looked like they were in pain. Like, that guy looked like he was in pain. Like, he looked like he was... Like, like death warmed over, you know, like, you know, big bags under his eyes, hunched over, didn't really look like he had the strength to hold himself up. You know, it just, it was, it was not a good look. But. Well, and, you know, you take, you take them as you find them. Right, you know. So, you know, it, what, I, what, what I'm trying to get at is, like, you know, I guess those, like, even like a, even like a lower impact case, depending on the, you, you, like you said, you take them as they come, right? Like the, the, the thin skull rule, right? Right. If 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 you shatter every bone in their body because they're Mr. Glass from I don't know if you ever saw that movie Unbreakable. Yep. Yeah. But, you know if they're Mr. Glass from Unbreakable, you know it is what it is. You, you gotta you gotta pay the piper so to speak. But still, like that guy was still hurt. Like whether the accident caused it or not, that guy was actually hurt. I mean, you could see it in his face. And like he'll never be the same. You know, like we were at I think it had been two and a half years since the accident. It had been over a year, maybe a year and a half since his last surgery. He's probably not going to get a whole lot better at the time that he was he was testifying in trial. Right, especially somebody who's older. With that. Like, yeah, a million, a, a, one, one and a half million dollars is a great little severance package. But frankly, I think that guy would have traded that $1.5 million to go back to the way that he was before the accident. Oh, yeah, most folks probably would. Right. So. So, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, I, I guess, it's, I mean, like, as a personal injury attorney, it, like, it bugs me. Because, you know, like, I see guys like Dan Newland, and Dan Newland isn't the worst defender. Have you ever heard of, um, I think it's Steiger, Steiger, Isco, and Feiner? I think I've, I think I've seen the name. They're big down south. Like, they're big. They made their name in, like, the Miami, like, Broward-Dade County areas. Mm-hmm. They're up here now. They're over in Hillsboro in, uh, in Pinellas County. Dude, they have the worst commercials, man. They're, like... <laughs> They're like car salesmen, dude. They're like, Steinger, Steinger, Green and Finer. Like, get, get the most money for your accident. You know, like, they're all, like, dancing around and, like, you know, like, waving money around and stuff like that. And I'm just, like, like face palming every time I see that. I'm just like, well, I mean, is, come on now. This is not reality. Not only is it not reality, it's, it's insulting. It's insulting come on. to the profession as well. I mean, it gets worse. I mean, we've all seen those videos on YouTube for the, uh, the Texas Lawhawk. Dude, <laughs> The Texas Lawhawk is my favorite. Like those are the best, man. At least they're kind of funny. Yes, yes. Yeah. They are oh, you know what? Terrible. No, there is. There's better. There's another guy. He calls himself the Texas Hammer, and he's got a firm. It's like him and his son now, and he has like a big sledgehammer, and he goes on. He's like, "Hire the Texas Hammer. I'm the Texas Hammer," and uh, the best ones though are the fact that I mean he's obviously you know, an English speaking, you know, native English speaker, right. but he, cause it's Texas. He does these commercials in English and in Spanish. Okay. And I mean, it is like cowboy Spanish oh <laughs> trying to do the same commercial oh, in Spanish. Oh, yeah. Spanish. Yeah. Pretty much, man. <laughs> and I always watch those and go, man, the bar in Texas will just allow any advertisement <laughs> to go on TV. Won't they? I have spent, I've watched those many, many times. I, I, I'm a, I would never have ads like that, uh, nor do I wish that anyone else would, but like, 
I think he kind of pulls those off. But, like, I've seen... I think the worst one I ever saw was a Vegas one. And it's I've not seen attorney. those. <laughs> Have you seen that one? No. It's, it's an attorney who's running. It's, it's an obvious blue screen. Like, he's, like, fake running in place, but it looks like he's, he's running down like the Vegas Strip. And right. He's like waving at people while he's going down the street. He's like, hey, you know, like, whatever. Such, such a law firm. You know, we're here for you. We're here for you. And, like, the end of the, at the end of the commercial, like, after he's been running down the strip, is he runs into the hospital, and he'd been chasing an ambulance the whole time. Oh, that's just bad. Oh, dude, it's so bad. Like, when we, when we get done with this, I'll send it to you. It is, it's cringy. Like, I mean, because Florida wouldn't allow that. He was really going for it to be funny. Like, he was trying to make it so bad that it was funny, but it's just, it's just cringy. Yeah, I mean, Florida, you know, makes you look at it and go, again, Florida's, Florida's doing a pretty good job at this. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're not perfect, but, you know, it's not ambulance chaser bad. Right, yeah, it's not Texas ambulance chaser bad. <laughs> that's that's terrible. There's a, there's, a, there's a local guy over here that has, a, has an actual ambulance uh, park. He's a personal injury attorney. Has an actual ambulance. It's painted in like his law firm's colors, and it's got like his his you know his, his slogan and stuff on it. And it's it, it's parked in his in his parking lot. <laughs> so every I haven't seen by, that. Every time you drive by his parking lot, you know you see like there's a freaking ambulance parked out. Out in his, uh, in his parking lot. That's, yeah, that's a bit much, too. Yeah, it's, um, I'm not a fan. Uh, <laughs> ten, 10 out of 10 for creativity. Um, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really a huge fan either. You'd be like, what if you were Will's trust in a state attorney and you, like, bought a hearse and parked it in front of your, in front of your office? That's not a half bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Where can I find a hearse? I'm sure you can, man. I've seen people drive those things around. I'm sure. I'm sure I could if I wanted to. I'm sure there's always somebody trying to get rid of a used hearse. Yeah, I some like funeral thing, home. Like in the early 2000s, like people would try to find old hearses and like paint them up and drive them around. Well, I mean, you got to figure they got to maintain them pretty well because who wants to break down their way to a, a funeral procession? <laughs> got to do the maintenance. I would take that. It's a, it's a negligent infliction of emotional distress. Yeah, man, for sure. For sure. Because the family's probably in the hearse. Well, no, the family's usually not in the hearse itself. They're usually, like, right behind it. Yeah, like, yeah. What if it was, like, some cartoonishly bad, like, where, like, the, the back tires, like, blew out or something like that, and the door opens up and the casket, like, tumbles out the back, and, like, you know, the body, like, falls out into the road. And then everyone, you know, obviously the family's behind that has to, like, bear witness to that. Like, that would be a, that would be a hell of a case. Yeah, hell of a case. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. It sounds like something that would happen in a Will Ferrell movie. Don't give him any ideas, man. <laughs> I'm coming up with all these ideas, man. I gotta get paid for some of these. You gotta, you gotta, yeah, you gotta copyright those. Did you see, um, see the last <laughs> so, movie so. Um, on Netflix, Eurovision? No, I haven't, you know, I don't watch a whole lot of Netflix. We have Netflix, but I just you know, don't really watch it. Well, good for you. Because of COVID-19, I feel like that's all I do when I'm not working. It's like <laughs> COVID, kids, and Netflix. Yeah, I've got me what? We got Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, and I don't think I watch any of them. Now, Jocelyn will watch some of that stuff, but I don't I don't watch much television these days. That's good. Dude, there's no sports. <laughs> there's definitely no sports, man. It is. I don't think, I don't think football's happening this year, man. I, I, I feel we'll like see. I mean, we've got what? We've got um, baseball coming back 
later this month. We'll see how that goes. Soccer's back right now. Are they are they traveling or are they gonna like are they gonna hold up in like Arizona or Florida and just do it that way? Baseball? Yeah. They're they've reconfigured the way they're doing the season, right? So you've got the American League, you got the National League, and then you got four divisions in each league, right? You've got uh, East, Central, Mountain, and West, right? So for the 60 games they're going to play, you play 40 games in your own division. So like the American League East, you'd play 40 games within the teams in the American League East. The other 20 games is the opposite league's equivalent. So you play 20 games in the National League East. So, I mean, you're basically taking, like, what the Red Sox would be the furthest north, and then, well, I guess technically the, the Blue Jays would be the furthest north up in Toronto. Right. And then the Marlins would be the furthest south down in Miami. So that, you know, kind of distance is what they've limited it to. So they're still traveling, though. Like, so if Boston plays right. the Marlins, they're going to travel down and play, play in Miami and vice versa. Right, so Boston would play in Miami, Miami play in Boston, but they're playing with no fans. So, right, but they're not creating like a bubble like the NBA did. The NBA is is going to finish off their season at Disney. I mean, it's yeah. going to be here here in Orlando, and I, I don't know where they're housing them, but I know they've basically got a couple hotels over at Disney that it's only NBA players, staff, and then um, you know like media. And then employees. Because, like, the employees for Disney aren't allowed to leave the bubble either. So if you're an employee that's working, you, you get to spend the next, you know, couple of months, whatever amount of time it is, basically working and living at Disney because of this NBA bubble they're trying to create. Get to, get to hang out with LeBron James, man. Like, it might be worth it. Well, I don't know. I mean, they, they'll probably try to keep players and employees separate because I know Disney uh, – dissuades you from interacting with any famous guests <laughs> but at the same time yeah you're right i mean how can you not interact with you know this player or that player if you're seeing them all the time right especially if you're you know if you're delivering them room service every day or if you're serving them at a, a in a restaurant every day right you know it's at some point something's got to give i'm sure there are those players that don't want to have anything to do with with the staff but i guarantee you there's going to be a good chunk of them that are they're cool they'll be fine they'll be like you know normal and talk to talk to everybody and just like you say you know um you know once you get familiar with everybody you start learning everybody's names and then you now you're friends with them you know yeah i mean we'll, we'll see how it works with that whole bubble trying to keep everybody sort of contained like that to make sure that you don't get anybody sick and then play as many games as you can and get everything sort of wrapped up for the season i guess you know well but what, what i know is that with college football uh, you know, the Pac-10 said that they're, not the Pac-10, the um, Big Ten. Who's, like, Wisconsin, Ohio State? What's their, what's their conference? Uh, dude, you're asking me about college football? I don't know anything about college football. I come from a place that doesn't even have college football. Come on. Uh, yeah, but you're a sports guy. You're supposed to keep up with all of it. Well, I mean, I pay attention to UCF because I went to UCF, but I don't, I don't really pay much attention to college football generally. I mean, I, I grew up in New York. We don't have a, a college football team, really. You're terrible at college football. Ever since Syracuse fell off like you know. 20 years ago, you guys had nobody. Well, and Syracuse isn't even remotely close to where I grew up. I mean, it's like an eight-hour drive to Syracuse. Right, but it's still New York. Um... <laughs> we don't claim that part of New York. That's southern Canada, man. <laughs> 
college used to be good back in the day too, but they're not so great anymore. Anyway, I think it's the Big Twelve now that I'm now that I have a little time to think about it. But they're not playing. They're not playing away games. They're all, or, right. Excuse me. They're only playing in conference games. Oh yeah, I've seen them do. Yeah. That affects me because I'm an App State fan. And App State, I don't know if you know this, but App State finished ranked 20th last year. Now that's amazing. But the problem is, is that like in conference, we pretty much dominate in conference. We've won last, we've won our, our conference championship the last three years in a row, and we've been in in this conference for three years. Right. And so we play like one, maybe two games out of conference, and we typically play like Penn State, LSU. This year it's Wisconsin, and Wisconsin was going in preseason rank number five. So we've been like, again, I guess since you're not a college football fan, I'll just say it. Like we're considered like the original giant killer. I remember that. And ever since then, like we almost beat Penn State, uh, I think two or three years ago. It literally came down to to like we were in overtime and they intercepted the ball and were able to stop it. And they were ranked like I think number two that year. And then we almost beat Tennessee again in overtime, like I think two years before that. So now we're ranked twentieth. So like our one shot at like proving ourselves as being like worthy of being in the top twenty. Or maybe even knocking off Wisconsin and like getting like, you know, even further down the ranks. Like that's our one game this year to do it. Right. So now that they're not doing it, well, we're going to be stuck playing, you know, all the old familiars. And while right. I'm not trying to like, you know, be dismissive, like we lost to, I want to say it was Georgia Southern last year. They're like our Achilles heel. Um, but yeah, that's like our one shot of doing it. So now our whole season's kind of like, you know, we'll see what happens, but. Yeah, and it will be, you know, in the college football context because it it's not as cut and dry as it is in in pro sports or in any other, you know, sport where you try to rank these teams. And yeah, how do you do that if everybody's playing only within their own conference? Yep. Yeah, because I'll follow I'll follow UCF and UCF's kind of in that same boat with App State. Yep. They have years where they're up and down. They've had some years where they're really good and then you try to look forward to yeah, who's that team we're gonna? Wh- where's that big name that we're gonna play? See if we can prove something, right? And then yeah, if this year you were having a shot at a, a good, a good team, and you lose that, yeah, that sets your program back. Yep, and also we get paid usually to play guys like that. Actually, I don't know if we, I don't know if we still do, frankly, at this point because I mean, we got like I said, we were ranked twentieth last year, and. Um, we're, we're well known for like I mean we almost we almost ruined Penn State and Tennessee seasons those two years that we played them, um, so we may not get paid like we used to. But um, I know there's a lot of smaller teams though that like their entire sports program like not just their football but like everybody relies right. on that one time a year when you know Furman plays LSU and, and they get paid three million dollars to do it. All right, John. Well, we've been going for uh, over an hour now, so I'm sure that. <laughs> As usual, we could probably go for another two or three hours, but we gotta we gotta call it at some point. So I really appreciate you coming on and doing this with me, man. Yeah, it was good. All right. Well, do you wanna you wanna plug anything before we sign off? Well, you know, if you have anybody that's listening in Orlando and they've got any uh, real estate questions or real estate issues that they'd like to talk to an attorney about, we're happy to talk to folks and answer questions and see if we can help them at our at our office, which is Saunders and Agner. We're in Doctor Phillips, and uh, they can reach out to us. Uh, through email, you can get me at john at lawsaunders.com or by phone at 321-319-0459. We're, we're always happy to talk real estate with folks if they've got questions. 
There it is. There it is. And as always, I'm Chris Wagoner, Wagoner Law. If you've, got, if you've been injured in any way, shape, or form, you can get me on my cell phone, 727-685-8000. You can look me up on my website at wagonerlaw.com. All right, John, I really appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, no problem.